Lakeview Church, we're in our final message in our series, Prayers for the Church. This is a series that we've been doing to coincide with our 21 days of prayer. We launched it back on Mother's Day, May the 10th, and we talked about Hannah and her prayer that God would give her a son. And from Hannah, we learned several things, but the most important lesson was that she prayed a prayer of surrender. And if you remember back to May the 10th, we talked about how surrender is the gateway to the favor of God. There aren't levers that we can pull to manipulate or control God, but surrender is one of those things that if we engage in surrender, if we lay uh, our right to be in control down, we put ourselves in a place where God's favor could be poured out in our lives. And we said that was really important for us as we started our 21 days of prayer, that we would pray prayers of surrender. The second week of our series, Pastor Zach did a great job helping us pray prayers for depth. And I think one of the most important lessons we learned in that message was that we actually need God in order to know God, that our calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to know him better, to know him more, and to grow in a character that reflects who he is. And so we actually seek God in prayer so that we can know him better more because we need his help in that journey. Last week, we moved beyond just praying for the church to be deeper, to pray for the church to expand the influence of God's kingdom out into our community and out into our world. And we looked at Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and and we learned that we need to pray for eyes that see the way God sees. We need to pray for a heart that feels the way God's heart feels for the condition of our world. We need to pray for mouths and hands and feet that will go where he sends us and do the work that he's given us to do with our hands and speak the words that he wants us to speak to a world that needs to know Jesus as their shepherd. Today, I want to, in this final message of the series, talk to you about praying for the favor of God on our church. This word favor might be a new word for you, but it's a word that I like to use because I I see God's outpouring on the church, whether we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or we talk about God giving grace or we talk about him anointing the church. For me, the word favor kind of captures all of those ideas. And as we've said several times in this series, the reality is there's nothing that we could do to earn God's favor. That's part of what makes it favor. It's something that God in his sovereignty chooses to give to his church. There's nothing that we could do that would make God pour out his Holy Spirit on us. There's nothing that we could do that would earn God's blessing. There's no thing that we could uh, mix into the life of our church that would make God do something in and through us. The reality is we simply need God to decide to do that work, and we hope and pray that he does. With that said, knowing that there's nothing that we could do, no levers that we could pull to control God, the reality is is I think there are some things that we are responsible to do that will help position us as God's people and as his church to be in a place where if God would choose to favor us, there would be nothing in our hearts or in our lives or in our church that would prohibit God from doing that. 
And there's a, a principle that I think is important for us to understand at the outset of this message. It actually comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. The apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, and he says to them that I, Paul, planted Apollos, another church leader in the first century, watered those seeds, but it's God who causes the growth. This is a short little verse, but it's got a powerful principle embedded in it. And it's a principle that I hope we will learn as a church. Here's the principle. Our church is required and we are required as God's people to be diligent and dependent. We are required, let me say it again, to be diligent and dependent. Paul makes it really clear that there were things that he and Apollos were given to do. He planted seeds. Apollos watered those seeds. But at the end of the day, it was only God who could cause those seeds to grow. And what Paul was saying is that there was work that he needed to do. He had to be diligent. But there were certain aspects of the task that only God could do. And what I know about God, what I know about the work of the church is that God has decided to partner with human beings to accomplish his purposes in this world. I don't always understand why God chooses to limit himself by partnering with people like us, but he does. He wants to partner with us to see his purposes accomplished. And because there's a partnership between God and human beings, the, the simple reality is this. We must be diligent in what God gives us to do. And at the very same time, we must be fully dependent on God to do what only he can do. So today, as we talk about prayers for the favor of God on our lives and on our church, I want to talk to us about some characteristics that we need to pursue, the, the things that we're to be diligent with so that God's grace and blessing and anointing and favor can be poured out if he chooses to do so. We want to be diligent and dependent so today I want to talk to you from a passage of scripture found in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 23 in just a moment, but let me set the stage. The book of Acts really records uh, the time after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. It kind of picks up the story there, and, and actually at the beginning of Acts, Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to heaven to be with his Father, and the Holy Spirit's getting ready to be poured out so that the church can be born on the very first Pentecost Sunday. And as we read Acts chapter 2, in fact, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out on the apostles in the upper room, and Peter goes out and preaches to the crowds that have assembled for the festival there in Jerusalem. And we know from the story that 3,000 people come to faith on that day. They repent of their sins, they're baptized, and the church is born. This community of faith starts to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They start to fellowship with one another. They start to pray and, and pursue the mission of God in their community. And what we know from the book of Acts is that they're enjoying the favor of God and all of the people. And in fact, Acts chapter 2 tells us that the Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. So we have this picture of a church that's being favored by God as it starts. But if you just turn the page in the book of Acts, what you find as you get into Acts chapter 4 is that Peter and John are called before the religious leaders of the day and they face some opposition. 
They're told that a movement has begun and that movement needs to stop. And so if, if they're not going to stop teaching these things about Jesus, they're going to be punished. They're going to be persecuted. They might be imprisoned. They might even lose their lives. And though the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, couldn't decide how to punish them, they released them. They did so with a threat over them. And it's in this moment that we start to learn something about the character of the church because a church can, can do anything when the favor of God is upon them and everything's going well and they're being fruitful in their ministry. But when a church faces opposition, it's in that moment, it's in that moment that we learn something about the character of that church. Peter and John are released by the religious leaders and they go back to the church gathering in Acts chapter four, beginning in verse 23, and this is what the text says. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then listen to this next phrase. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. As I read this passage of scripture and think about these believers in the early church, I think there are at least three characteristics that show up in this passage that I want us to pray for and pursue. I think they're things that God calls us to be diligent with. And so if we can be diligent in these things and then be dependent on God to pour out his favor and blessing, I think we're headed in the right direction as a church. And I hope and pray that if we do those things, we'll see God's favor rest on our church. The first characteristic that I see in this passage is that this was a unified community. It was a unified community. The passage says that they were one in heart and in mind. This is so important for us to understand. We, we could never experience the full favor and blessing of God on our lives or on our church if we don't learn how to live and dwell together in unity. 
This is one of the most important characteristics that the church is called to demonstrate. It's something that Jesus prayed for in John 17. And all throughout scripture, we are reminded of the importance of unity and the challenge to pursue unity because God wants us to be a unified community before the world. This is how they will know. This is how they will know that Jesus was sent by the Father and so we need to be a unified community. There are a couple things that I know about unity. First, unity is really important. It's really, really important. Jesus prayed for it. And he said, this is the way that they will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. Really, really important for us to pursue unity. Second thing I know about unity, it takes work. Unity takes work. See, the reality is, is that as we live together as a community of faith, uh, there are going to be things that uh, rub us the wrong way as we interact with each other. There's going to be tension points. There's going to be friction. It just is part of being human beings together in a community. Sometimes there are going to be conflicts or disputes. Sometimes there are going to be personalities that well, just don't maybe sit well with us. And here's the reality. When all of those things happen, unity takes work. When conflicts arise, we have to actually make the effort to go to that person, and we have to actually work to bring resolution and reconciliation between us and that person. Matthew 18 makes it really clear that this is what we're called to do. Unity takes work. And in fact, uh, in another passage of Scripture, we're reminded that if we're bringing our offering to the altar and we in that moment remember that there's an offense that we have between us and another person, we should leave our offering and go make it right, which again speaks to the importance of unity, right? Unity is actually in that instance more important than worship, right? It's gotta come first. So unity is important. Unity takes work. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4, we must make every effort to maintain unity. We're gonna have to work at it. We gotta be diligent. Remember, those are the things we have to be diligent with to pursue unity. But here's the third thing I know about unity. It's worth it. Unity is worth it. Unity positions us as a church to be a church that God can bless. The psalmist says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when the people of God dwell together in unity. He says it's like the oil that runs down Aaron's beard, which is a picture of the anointing of God's spirit resting on the priest. When we dwell together in unity, it's like the anointing of God being poured out on us. He goes on to say it's like the dew that falls on Mount Hermon that makes the grass green and luscious and vibrant and alive. If we want to be alive as a church with the favor and blessing and anointing of God, we must be a unified community, one heart and one mind. So as we pray as a church, let us pray and let us work to be a unified community. Second characteristic, we must have missional courage. Missional courage. I read this passage and I see these people being threatened. They're gonna be punished. They're gonna be persecuted, maybe in prison, maybe even lose their lives. And what do they do? They come back and they say, God, help us go out and keep doing what they told us not to do. 
Make us bold for the kingdom of God. And they continue to go out and testify about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God continues to work through them to reach more people with his message and with with his truth. Listen, as a church, we must have missional courage. We must be willing to do whatever it takes to see our community and our world reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As uh, one church leader says, we should be willing to do anything short of sin to take the message out. There should be nothing that we would be unwilling to do to see God's kingdom advance. And I am praying that God would stir our hearts and give us a fresh courage to take the message of Jesus into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our community, and into our world so that more people can know Jesus as their shepherd. May God fill us with a fresh boldness so that we can go out and be engaged in the mission of God. Third characteristic, We must have a sacrificial generosity. I love the way they're described in this passage of scripture, people who actually would take all of their possessions, sell their land and their homes, and then bring that resource to the church to say, meet needs and allow these resources to advance the kingdom of God. It's a sacrificial generosity. They're not asking questions of what's the minimum we need to give to be a part of this community of faith. They're not asking questions like, is the tithe 10% of my gross or my net income? They're way beyond that in their thinking about the church. They're not thinking about the base minimums. They're thinking about the maximum that they can invest in the kingdom of God. And the reason they're thinking that is because they're a unified community focused on the mission of God. Now, I'm not asking you to sell your house or your land and bring all of that resource to the church. But what I am asking you to do, and I think this is what God wants all of us to do, is take our time, our talents, and our treasure and place them before the Lord and simply say, Lord, all of this belongs to you. What of this do you need to use so your kingdom can advance in and through me and in and through our church? And whatever God puts his hand on and says, I want you to invest this in the work of the kingdom of God in your church and in your community, that you would be quick to obey the Lord. I think that's what we see in this community in Acts chapter four. They had a sacrificial generosity because they loved each other so deeply. They were one heart and one mind and they were so focused on fulfilling the mission of God that everything they had belonged to the Lord. Everything they had could be used by him to grow the church and expand the kingdom. So as we think about our role as Lakeview Church and being diligent what God's asked us to do, I just wanna ask you, your time, your talent, your treasure, put it before the Lord and just ask him, is there anything that you need to adjust or change so that you can invest more in the work of God's kingdom? And my prayer is that we would love each other so deeply as a unified community and we would be so committed to the mission of God going forward in and through our church that we would be willing to invest whatever God asks us to invest so that his kingdom can expand through Lakeview Church. I wanna come back to where we started. 
doing these three things, pursuing these three characteristics won't make God favor us. They're not a formula. They're not steps to the favor of God. But they are responsibilities that I believe the church is called to exhibit day in and day out, that we would be unified that we would be uh, missionally courageous to do whatever God asks us to do so his kingdom can advance, and that we would be sacrificially generous, that we would give whatever God leads us to give so the work can go forward. I think that's our responsibility. I think we're called to be diligent with those things. So may we pursue those things as a church. May we pursue those things as the people of God and at the very same time, May we be absolutely dependent on God to breathe his life into it. Because at the end of the day, all we can do is plant seeds and water them. We need God to cause the growth. So we're asking God in this season, as we're diligent, we're asking God to do what only he can do and pour out his favor on Lakeview Church. So Father, we come to this moment in our service. We've heard your word, and I pray, God, that your word would challenge us today to be more of the people that you have called us to be. God, I pray in particular that we would find ourselves pursuing these characteristics with all diligence. May we pursue unity. Please, God, as Jesus prayed, make us one. God, may we be consumed with your mission. It is the mission of God to redeem and restore the world. Please, God, captivate our hearts with that mission and let us be willing to pursue it no matter what the cost. Fill us with boldness so that we can carry your mission forward. And then, God, Our time, our talents, our treasure, it all belongs to you. So God, lead us and guide us. Show us what you want us to invest and may we be quick to obey. And God, for all that you do in and through us, Lord, we're gonna give you the praise. We just simply ask God as we are diligent, would you you see fit to pour out your grace, your blessing, your favor? And as you do, God, may you be glorified in and through Lakeview Church. Pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lakeview Church, as we close our service today, I want to just remind you about the Wesleyan Church online prayer service, which is taking place tonight at 7 p.m. It's an opportunity for us to get together with our Wesleyan brothers and sisters from around the world for a prayer service where we are focused in on asking God to pour out his favor on his church. So you can find details for this event at wesleyan.org together. We want to encourage you to make sure you go there and join with us for that prayer event tonight at 7 p.m. As you are uh, leaving this time of worship, I want to just remind you that the Lord has promised to be with you as you go throughout your week. So go with his presence resting upon you and let him use you this week for his glory and his honor. Blessings.